Hey folks, and welcome to Dungeon Casters, the Dungeon Master Advice Show for Rookie DMs by Rookie DMs. I'm Ben. And I'm Scott. And we're here to help you guide your campaign through the fallopian tubes of adventure. Congratulations, honey. It's a podcast. This week on Dungeon Casters, we're going to be talking about challenge building, specifically non-combat challenge building. How to yeah. how to entertain your party outside of them fighting monsters and goblins and dragons. Yeah, uh, so for some parties, this is going to be what you're going to be doing a lot of, because they may not like combat. And for other parties, maybe, who really, really like the combat, you may be doing this um, a little less. But... Um, it's, if nothing else, a really good opportunity to let players use all those skills and background knowledges and things like that that uh, they put into their characters. Some some take those more seriously than others, but, you know, everybody wants to use the things they wrote down. Um, and challenges are really the place to do that. Well, exactly, because um, people build yeah. these well-rounded <clears throat> characters, and aside from combat stats, you want to be able to use the rest of that character you built. Yeah, 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 especially in 5e where there's so much more, um, I don't know, it feels like there's so much more social RP background stuff that's actually in the book. Mm -hmm. It feels like they've they've centered that focus a little bit more, and so use it. Um, it's it's something that obviously we've spoken very um, very much of in, in this show, where how much we like this part of the game and how much we appreciate it moving towards this, though it's obviously not for everybody. Um, so let's, let's talk about a few just key parts of challenge building because it's in some ways really easy because there's some ways in which you can just sort of like copy and paste things that already exist and just like slap, bang, boom, you're done. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's other ways in which it's one of the more difficult parts of being a DM. Yes. <clears throat> um, the first, like the cardinal rule of challenge building, whether it's skill checks, puzzles, um, interactions, whatever you're doing, they always need an out. You always need to give them an opportunity, if they fuck up, to still get that crucial item, that crucial information. They're always, there could be penalties, but they're always, have, you can't completely end the campaign because one guy rolled shitty on his diplomacy check. Yeah, I think I was I was listening to WebDM, the YouTube show, and, and this wasn't exactly their maxim, but this was something that I, I think has been true for a very long time and has been spread from DM to DM, you know, in that way for a long time, that um, don't hide every necessary component behind a skill wall. Uh, in this case, they were talking a lot about things like, um, like a mystery or... Um, <clears throat> like a puzzle that was maybe like a physical puzzle. And so, you know, you have a dungeon, say, and there's a um, a series of, I don't know, uh, traps between you and, you know, point A and point B. And if you can find um, all of these things, you can actually eliminate the traps. But you got to go out and find them, and it's like a big to-do, and, and so on and so forth. And it will take skill checks and to do it. But... So the difference here is um, you have to have that passageway theoretically mm -hmm. survivable anyway. Um, because if you just say, like, well, you didn't find all the pieces, like, this is just a big death room now. There's, like, a 400-foot hole with an anti-magic field around it. Like, you're screwed if you don't find it. Because in, in this game, you can always roll a one, and you can always roll a one ten times in a row. Yeah, and you're just gonna screw your players, and they will, pro like, probably never forget it. Um, and it, it just it it just diminishes so much of of the possibility of the game. I mean, certainly, they can be put at a disadvantage for failing a, a skill challenge or a challenge of another kind. They can, by all means, you know, if you give them an easy road, but they can't succeed on that easy road, that's fine. But they still need to be able to walk on some road to get to the end. Um, yeah, and uh, like I have a I have a perfect example. Uh, a friend of mine just started DMing his first campaign, actually his first session DMing, and he um, had built this chunk of it as if it was like it was essentially Mario, where you know you have that two D side scroller where there are those <laughs> giant. Um, you know, yeah, tubes to jump over the pipes to jump over. But because we were 3D, it was really just like 
a narrow walkway with these giant pipes, and it was all proportional to Mario, so, like, they were, like, 30 feet tall, and we weren't <laughs> Mario, so we couldn't jump seven times our body height. So, right. like, it became this skill challenge, and it was the kind of thing where it was, you know, the entire session. It was an hour and a half of us trying to get past one 30-foot pipe. And yeah. we had all of these, we tried all of these different things and it kept in working and it was getting kind of frustrating and it was just like not happening. And it's the kind of thing yeah. where when you, when you give your players a brick wall like that, yeah, sure. Sometimes they'll beat their head against it over and over and over until they break through. But sometimes yeah. it's better to just kind of like be like, oh, okay. Like you did it this time or like, oh, you've already surmounted this wall once so now you know how to do the next one, and you just do it. Yeah, it, this this sort of this touches on a weird thing, and um, it's it's funny because despite that being a very non-traditional challenge to give a party, there's something very familiar. Like it brings me back to like the first time I ever ran a game, and yes. like thinking conceptually something would be really interesting and fun because like oh they'll have to like work together and like oh, it's like you, they can go about it all these different ways. Um, and then it plays out on the table and it looks so different and is so frustrating and just doesn't doesn't really function because um, we'll get into this probably more in the combat episode or episodes that we do, but I kind of want to bring this up now is there is a very big difference between a few things. What functions for a story, what functions in your head, and what functions at the table? Um, and that's one of those things where, like, you think, like, oh, that sounds so cool. That sounds great. They're going to, like, love the reference. They're going to love the challenge. They're going to have to work together. It'll be hard. And you think, like, those are all the pieces of a good challenge. And in some cases, those are all the pieces of a good campaign. And then you break down mechanically what has to happen. And you've made something that is difficult and tedious and in some cases sets you all the way back at the beginning mm -hmm. and frustrating. Not to not to slam this person. I know who this is and this person's terrific. I, I really, really like I miss seeing this person. I would love to play in this person's games when they start making games that maybe I can get in on. But it's it's not not to put them on blast, but it is it is when you start DMing, especially, there's such a disconnect sometimes between what you think is going to be really cool and functional and what is actually really cool and functional. I found yeah. that like oftentimes aiming kind of in the low middle zone versus like the high zone of like concept and weirdness and difficulty is, is a better idea because your players are always going to make it like way harder <laughs> themselves. Anyway. Oh my God. They, it's the amount of puzzles I have built that like, yeah, I don't know. I'm like a fairly intelligent person, I suppose, but, like, I'm not that smart. And so, like, <laughs> the riddles and the puzzles I come up with are not that advanced, but, yeah. like, it's still in the situation of D&D, &D, everything is ten times harder because yes. everyone is on alert. They're on high alert. And, like, yeah. something that's banal to you when you design it all of a sudden becomes this huge buzzword to all of the players and, like, screws their minds over and they can't yeah. they won't do anything it like it can stop a party in its tracks using a single specific word um especially words with strong like defined yeah like really definite words because are, like are words tough. like even simple words like can't won't isn't nobody will die nothing like yeah. words like that trigger this reflex in every D&D &D yeah. character's brain that just makes them like, no, everything's gonna, everything's falling apart. I can't do anything. Like, they just brick walls. So you have to be right, really... Right, right, right. That's it. what it comes down to, too, is is I think in an ideal setting, people could totally disconnect from themselves and dump completely into their characters. And in the setting, you're a character in a world, not interacting at a table, playing your personal life but what is actually happening is it's a group of people gather around the table basically asking god questions and then god answers those questions so you say something like 
uh, does does this wheel move? And uh, the the DM um, might say, let let's say the wheel can move. Let's say it is a movable wheel. Okay, but it's tough. It's old and it's like rusted, or it's just not moved in so long that the stone has settled. You know, whatever the case is, right? So you know, you say, go try, try to move it, and the player fails a uh, a strength check on it, and the DM then is presented with a number of options, really an infinite number of options as to how to respond to that moment. And one of the dangerous things to do is to say, the wheel won't move. The wheel doesn't move. The wheel can't move. You can't move the wheel. You can't move the wheel. Um, And what you think you're saying is like, your person went up to this thing and they can't move the wheel. You, you've, it's like a subjective thing. Like you personally couldn't move the wheel. What your player hears, hears is this wheel is 100% immobile, period. This cannot be moved. Um, and so you have to keep in mind that those definitive statements don't come off like subjective statements in the way that maybe normal conversation would have them come off. They come off as like rules. Um, and so I think I actually learned this from... Uh, Another another guy who I watched a lot of, uh, Noah Antweiler, who goes by the Spoony One. Some of you may know who he is, and he does a series called Counter Monkey. And he he said, when it comes to DMing, one of the biggest rules that you can learn, the most important rules to learn, is is keep things kind of misty and not so certain. So he'll say like, your rogue rolls a perception check, and instead of saying you don't see anybody, you don't see any guards, you say. You don't think you see anybody. You're pretty certain you don't see anybody. You're almost totally positive you don't see anybody. And it's not inaccurate. You rolled, you succeeded. There's nobody there. You as a DM may know that. There's nobody there. But the player, the character, can never actually be certain unless there were, you know, some magical forces at play where there's like, all right, I have arcane eyes on every corner of this building. Like, I would know if anybody was in here. You know, but even then, even, you know, in a fantasy world, all kinds of crazy magic, people are invisible, people can't be detected, all kinds of things happen, especially if you're just going with mundane, like, do I see anything? You don't seem to. Nothing's, nothing stands out to you. Um, not, not that you can tell. Um, sticking with these kind of in-between statements may seem like a cop-out because especially in storytelling, that's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, like when it comes to writing stories and telling stories, it, it's kind of wishy-washy and nobody really knows where you stand and it goes like, well, is it or isn't it? When you're talking about you playing the part of your character's or your player's character's senses, you cannot be so certain. Exactly. Unless specifically a god, they've asked God in the game, they've asked, they've asked, you know, Paylor, is this true? And Paylor can say with complete certainty that it is true. But even then, you never There's know because room to say there there are ways around that, which is why every player hates it uh, when I do this. But like I answer perception checks the same way every time, where they say, "Oh, I rolled you know a seventeen on my perception check." Right. I say the words, "You did not see anything." Yeah. I didn't say there's nothing there. I didn't say there was something there you missed. I said, you did not see anything. Because that's what perception is. It is noticing something. So if they rolled very high, and they would have noticed something there, and there's nothing there, it's the same answer. If there was something there, and they didn't roll high enough, it's the same answer. You did not see, or you did not notice anything. Because that way, it is the character senses not, you know, grasping anything. Even if you're playing with models and you have the enemies pre-spotted on the board behind a rock and, you know, your players can see that, but their characters can't, I say, you did not see anything. So, like, and that's when, you know, you have to be harsh on metagaming or whatnot, but, like, you have to be very, very, very specific because... As soon as you say there's nothing there, it's all over. It's all over. I mean, that that is one of the things, right? Like, I know this was a big issue in 3.5 for various reasons, but it has, I think it's been an issue for this kind of game, not even just D&D, but just like this kind of game for a long time where 
at some point, especially as you get to like a higher level, if the game has that kind of system, <clears throat> you start to get players who are so overly confident in their ability to survive anything that they'll just saunter into any old room. And a lot of that, and then sometimes they're surprised by what they find, but sometimes they're not. But, you know, DMs will also, will always go over like, well, there's going to be this stuff, it's going to be like a dark cave, and it's going to be scary, and it's going to be like this. And then you get your players who are like, yeah, I just walk right in. Like, you're like, you're just into this dark, scary cave, you don't know what's in there, you're just going to walk right in. It's like, yeah, I just walk right in. You have a flashlight? Like, no. No, lan no lantern, No, can not even a candle. Like, no, I'm fine. And it's like, I roll perception, and you're like, oh, you rolled like a 20. It's like, what do I see? It's like, you don't see anything. It's like, great, there's nothing in here. You know, and so when you start to deal um, with terminology and language that is less certain, you are at the very least delaying how long it will take for your players to become confident to the point where the game starts falling apart, right? Because you can't yeah. really build tension if they're not scared of anything. And if your rogue is like, well, you know, especially in like older editions where your perception could be like plus 35 you know, it's like, well, there's no way in hell I'm not going to notice that there's somebody here. And that is true to a point. You have to always, as a DM, be prepared to say there is a way, there is somebody that could be beyond the perceptive realm or the skill realm of this person. And even if they're not in that room, even if you don't know who they are yet, they need to know that they can never, ever, ever, ever be 100% certain of anything they do. They, sh they can be confident. They can be, like, pretty positive. Mm -hmm. they, can, they can walk into a room with minimal caution, but they shouldn't enter a room with zero caution. Well, and, and the language is a big part of that. It is 100%, and that's the thing is, like, you have, let's say you have that rogue that can roll a, let's say they get a 20 and they can roll a 35 on their perception the end of the day mundane perception if you are staring directly ahead of you at someone who is truly invisible not like you know uh chameleon-y reflective but like literally has the spell greater invisibility on them it doesn't matter how high you could roll a four thousand on that d20 with a mundane perception yeah. and you will not yeah. see a person who is not moving, holding their breath, and invisible, even if they are five feet in front of you. So that's something to keep in mind, is that there are always situations in which the mundane um, skills fall flat. And that is, mm -hmm. like, perception is something we were talking about a lot here, and that's because perception is all the time. And, like, it's important to differentiate uh, perception, insight, investigation, because they do get muddled, where perception is noticing yeah. things, investigation is after you have yeah. noticed things, finding, like, fine details, and insight is after you are interacting with an NPC, finding fine details in what they say. So if they're lying, if they have, you know, hidden intentions, that kind of thing. But mm. on the other side of that, one thing that happens a lot um, and people feel a need to do is... Sure up the challenge rating as their players get up uh, higher in level. And I think that's something that's valid, but you should not increase the challenge rating of something arbitrarily. Just because your sure. characters are level sure. 20 instead of level 3, walking over this thin bridge with a handhold on it is still going to be, you know, a 10 athletics check. Either way. So you don't make it a 35 athletics check all of a sudden yes. because your characters are more powerful just to make it more of a challenge. And I see happen a million and a half times is, oh, these people are higher levels now, so now everything needs to be higher challenge rating. And that's not true. Yeah, now this now this bridge is covered in all of Yeah, exact, exactly. <laughs> and like, sure, that might be a situation that happens. Maybe it's a trapped bridge. And as you get older, you might, or as you, you know, get higher level, you might have that bridge be trapped to up the challenge. But if it's still a mundane-ass bridge, it is still a mundane-ass bridge. And, like, the challenge rating should not be blasted, you know, really high just because your characters are higher level. Holy shit, you guys are so gonna encounter an olive oil-covered bridge soon. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Can the tiefling chef Guy Fair Fiery uh, be 
the boss yeah. of the dungeon with the olive oil. Yeah, fuck, absolutely. Are you kidding or, me? Yes. Well, if it's if it's gonna be like him, and, it's gonna have to be something grosser. Like it's gravy. gonna be gravy. It's gonna be like a meat, like a meat gravy. And then um, his um, his master is gonna be Gorgon Ramsey. Oh, <laughs> damn. That was good, Scott. That was really I good. I definitely did not um, think of that. I stole that from somewhere. I just don't know where. Uh, it's still good. Whoever came up with it, that was good. Um, so, but I actually want to tag on something you said, specific words you said, arbitrary. Um, this is a really big thing with me um, as a DM, and especially because most of my experience in the game has been as a player, right? And if it's, there's something... Um, even though probably being a DM is like three or four times more work and harder than it is to be a player, um, it is somehow in a lot of ways harder to keep players going in their role than it is to keep the DM going. Like if the DM sort of steps up to it, there's probably a reason they enjoy it. Like the planning they like, the collaboration mm. where they like, the 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 control they like. They, there's They're something type about Type A Virgo like I am. Yeah, like we are. Um, <laughs> So, so there's, and I don't exactly know where this comes from. I mean, I, I assume just in a general sense from older versions of the game, right? And feeling like because you have all these skills and things, like you have to use them at any given opportunity. And that, you know, well, you know, this would be sort of hard, so let's make it a skill challenge. Um, there is a, um, I would, this is, this is going to be a sort of a fine point to make. I would be wary of making skill challenges for the sake of making them at all. Um, because you feel like, oh, I haven't, haven't done one in an hour. I haven't done one in two sessions. I have to make, I have to make up for it. I have to make three of them. And so, you know, somebody wants to climb a tree and you're like, okay. I mean, thinking about like the difficulty of climbing a tree, like not that climbing a tree is like the easiest thing, not the Children hardest Children do thing. it. Some people can do Children do it, right? So you're saying that an adult who's in the past basically walked up a vertical surface, perhaps, would even have to, like, roll on something like that, you know, especially at, like, a higher level. Like, maybe if you get your, like, weedy wizard or something who was like, I'm going to climb this 900-foot tree. It's like, oh, you are rolling for that. Um, but if your fighter's like, I want to climb that tree, it's worth it not to slow the game down to make them roll. Um, and, and you know, it, I, I think this is the, the lesson here is, is pick your battles. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's fun and doesn't mean people will be interested in mm -hmm. doing it. Like this, br this bridge example. Like if the bridge is rickety and it's falling apart and it wobbles a great deal, if it's an extreme circumstance, right, where there's like a, a, a present danger that a misstep or a moment of imbalance would actually topple you or many people over the side. Challenge. Make it a challenge. That's a significant event that requires poise or skill of some kind. If you're just walking a bridge, and, and this sounds ridiculous, but like this is a thing that happens. Like you're walking a, I don't know, just a regular rope bridge. New, brand new, super secure, across like 15 feet of a river, you know? And then you have your people roll and they botch it. And it's like, well, it caves out. You fall over. It's like, I just wanted, like, I just wanted to get. To <laughs> I was the just going to cross the damn river. You know, like that's what happens. Is is there's a compulsion, and I'm I'm no less guilty of this. You know, when I started that, just you know to 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 make a lot of things challenging because is not the challenge the point, and I think sometimes it is, but it's about careful direction of that challenge um and it's about again picking your battles deciding like where do i want to emphasize the danger or where are my players forcing my hand you know whenever your players want to do something ridiculous make it a challenge yeah. that's fine you know i i want to climb this wall well it's a it's a 60 foot wall yeah i want to do it it has very few handholds you can tell i want to do it you are rolling, sir. Like, yeah. I mean, like, that kind of thing. Um, so that that's more in the moment, really. But I, I would encourage you to just consider that, that when you're, you are in the pre-planning stages, 
don't think there's like a number of challenges you have to include because that's fun and that's how the game works. Exactly. Well, and here's the other thing with that. It's like you were talking about like your player decides they really want to do this thing. Don't pre-plan your skill challenges. Just understand how they yeah. work and wait till your yeah. players say some dumb shit that they want to do and be like, all right, here's your skill challenge. Yeah. Like, Sometimes, if you can get your players really into the RP, they'll do it to themselves. They were like, Oh god, almost all the time they'll do the it. The amount of times I've had a character that, like, gets so caught up in the moment, he tries to surf on some object that he should not. Like, <laughs> oh man, the cart's running away. Alright, I'm gonna climb on the back, I'm gonna jump on the back, and I'm gonna grab the reins with one yeah. hand, and I'm gonna stand up, and I'm gonna rear it. Like, do making them feel heroic and, like, want to do those wild actions that make you know, their characters, heroes, make them, you know, role-play into that, like, this is how a hero thinks. This is, you know, the heroic action that gets told in tales in taverns and stuff like that. Make them think of the skill challenges. Have them decide what yeah. they're going to be doing. And that way, you don't have to pre-prep this shit. It doesn't get tired and boring and, like, oh, great, here's another, like, let's see how many rolls yeah. we can get thing. It's just like, all right, no, I decided to do this badass thing, and there are consequences if I fuck up, and I understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think really that's the key point, is, is a skill challenge... Your knowledge of the details and mechanics of the, the world, or at least the scene you are operating within, will allow skill challenges to flourish naturally. Uh, like you said... How many instances is there like a cart and somebody's like, I'm jumping on the back of that cart. Like it, it presented itself. As long as you know, there's something there, as long as you're building a world where there's stuff to interact with, as long as every encounter doesn't happen in a, a blank 10 by 10 room, you know? Um, and so in a lot of ways, you're right. You don't, I mean, when it comes to like puzzles and things like that, you yes. do want to have some planning, but when it comes to just like a skill challenge, um, the idea that you have to know that in advance is kind of silly. I mean, you can predict sometimes, you know, if you have people who tend to climb up walls, like, well, I'm going to put some walls in because it's a fortress. Probably going to climb it. I want to know in advance maybe just, like, a rough number, you know, how hard this would be. Um, and then, you know, you can do that in advance, but there's a lot of times where you really aren't beholden to all that pre-knowledge. Yeah. Um, you can run it pretty much by ear, especially because... Um, as we've said a million times, players will never fucking do what you want them to anyway. Yeah. So trying to predict their movements down to that level, saying like, they're going to jump on this cart is like, it, it's not even worth your time. Like they'll only do it if you didn't. Exactly. Think, you know? And like, so like, you're going to have to run it by ear anyway. Even, even the simple stuff like, oh, we're breaking into this manor. It's not like a fortress wall. It's literally just like a gate and having that option where it's like, all right, so, like, describe how you get over this gate, and if they say, well, like, oh, I just grab the bars and climb over, all right, so that's an athletics check, but if they're like, you know what, no, I'm gonna, like, fucking parkour up this garbage dumpster and, like, jump off this tree and then try to, like, high jump backflip over it, like, all right, now you're doing yeah. an acrobatics. Now you're doing an acrobatic check, and it's very yeah. hard. Well, I mean, and the amount um, of times I've, yeah. like, as a character, I've seen I try to, like, Dukes of Hazard mm -hmm. over something. Oh, sure. Instead of, like, walking the three feet around it, but they're just like, no, I'm going to plant and vault over that. Parkour! Like, <laughs> those are the kind of skill challenges. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, there, there is there is something to be said for, for uh, there are benefits players realizing they're at a game and not actually in any real danger because they'll do really oh dumb my god shit. yeah they'll do really dumb shit all the it's time it's so much fun though to because they can because it's it's like more thematic it's more interesting they want they want people to talk about this thing they did um even if it's as easy as like you said vaulting over a gate you could otherwise walk through they'll, they'll like become like a major character trait of theirs if they can do it once and and then you know just to throw this out there is the rule of like if it's that cool sometimes you just let it slide. yeah oh my god all the time <laughs> you just let it go all the time because because you know? i mean that's the thing is that's where you get those stories where you're like yo dude we were playing last week i know you couldn't make it but this thing happened like that's when it's, it's like someone gets a little bit creative and like tries to do something fun um and i will say as kind of like a last note on this 
vein, um, the one big thing I want to keep in mind for people is be prepared to scrap anything, anything. and everything. Like, at any second, do not hold on to your puzzles, your challenges. Like, if they are taking 35 minutes for something that you planned, like, five minutes of your night for, scrap yeah. it. And they, they will. will. Sometimes they will. Oh, and they will. And you just gotta scrap it. Just kill it and move on and be like, okay, well, that did not work. And that's okay. Like, it's a learning yeah. experience every time you DM. I've been DMing since fucking, like, I don't know, like five, five six years now? Yeah, it's been a while. I've, I've been DMing yeah, since yeah, I was, yeah. like, 19, and I'm 25 now, so, like, six years. <laughs> um, and... I still learn new shit every time, and, like, I'm like, oh, well, this is a better way to do that thing I've been doing wrong for five years. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. So, like, not being not being afraid to just be like, all right, so I fucked up planning this, and, like, yeah, I worked hard on it, but, like, it didn't work, and that's okay, and so, like, I'm gonna let them move past this, and now I know this is not going to work in the future. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's important to recognize when something has either gone too far or isn't going anywhere at all. Um, and you, you sometimes have to break the fiction a little bit and say like, okay, uh, I'm going to push us forward now. And now that we've been talking to this one shopkeeper for two hours, I think we're done. I think they've closed for the night. Because um, that kind of stuff happens. You, you're, you can never be certain what they'll really attach to, as we've said many times. And there are moments when... They can't get over a hurdle, um, and or or they don't attempt to even get over the hurdle, and so sometimes, despite the fact that you've said like, oh, it's going to be this whole big arc, and there's going to be all these challenges, and it's going to really test their skills, there are also going to be moments when you have to say they're just not biting, and if I want this to be fulfilling at all, I have to conclude it. I have to say like, we're now passing time, we're moving on. Something happens, and and. You know, this comes, like you said, with practice and, like, improv practice, which is, like, one of the hardest skills, like, a person uh. can learn is, is like, improvisational storytelling um, because it's so easy to screw up. But it's a, it's a necessity of the game. Yeah. Um, and especially uh, for the newest of us, it is, like, the most terrifying part of the game because you're like, what do I do? I just freeze. And the truth is that just happens. Um and you have to get past it and you have to say like, well, maybe, you know, at the, at the very worst, say like, all right, uh, give me 10 minutes. Like, let me just think about what comes next and let your, let your players go take a bathroom break. Like, let them go get some chips and have a cigarette, you know, and then just be like, okay, like I have to move on. Like, what can I do? You've planned this whole story. You know, you must know something that could happen next. You know, who's the yeah. villain? Who could, who could get in the way? Who might show up? You know, things that like is a great, like, the deus ex machina, like, someone arriving to get them out of the puzzle is a great option if your party is brick-walled. The other thing, I do something called epiphany checks. Now, these were, mm -hmm. um, really, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, <laughs> We're fucking stupid sometimes. They were, they were introduced to me by the person who taught me how to play D&D, and, um, it's the kind of thing where I try to be very careful with them because it's very easy to make this sound condescending, especially to a new player. Yeah. And that's not what I intend, yeah. and that's not what you should intend as a DM because that shit's fucked up. The reason I do epiphany checks is I'll be like, all right, roll a straight save, like a death, like the same way you do a death saving throw. 10 or higher is good, 9 or lower is bad. And if you have your whole party roll it, someone's gonna have the highest roll, and hopefully... Yeah, nine times out of ten, you'll be okay. Hopefully <laughs> that's over a ten. You can just be like, hey, you had this idea that, like, maybe this is what you should do, and you just give them a clue. Or you can do the kind of, like, opposite, like, oh, you tripped and fell, and you happened to land on the pressure plate that opened the door in hidden in the cobblestones. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You can, yeah. you, can you know, because you're playing a... I know railroading is a, you know, trigger word for a lot of people in regards to DMing and it's supposed to be an open sandbox and freedom and stuff like that. But, like, you have to drive the narrative forward. So sometimes, like, yeah. using that super convenient narrative storytelling and railroading your players through a puzzle that was taking too long is fine. It's something I do all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, it, it must be said, you know, from there are times when as a DM, like, you just... This isn't... The phrasing isn't great, but like, sometimes you just did it wrong. Yeah. It, it's, it's sort of too late to retroactively fix it, but you didn't describe something well enough. And the trouble is, your players have no idea what they can do. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to how to move through a room. There's, there's any number of reasons why they're stuck. And sometimes it's just your fault. You just thought you gave them the information and you forgot, or you gave it to them, it was too sort of cryptic. You never know. And, and so sometimes there's, for various reasons, no way to give them that information other than just saying, I'm going to hand this to you. And basically with it, the answer to this puzzle or this challenge at which point, I might as well just have the door open on its own anyway. Well, see, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's the thing is, I've done that, and they still take another ten yeah. minutes. Like, there are times where, like, I'm, like, you know, making my puzzle and building all my clues, and I'm like, alright, these are the three standard clues, this is the, if it's taking so long, it's this is gonna give away the answer clue. And they'll get to the point sure. where I give them that fourth, it'll give away the answer clue, and they still don't get it, because... Yeah. Regardless of how intelligent or not intelligent or, you know, however you want to say it, your players are, and compared to you or in addition to you, like, sometimes people think about things in different ways. So something that seems yeah. very logical and makes sense in your mind when you're doing it, when you run it, doesn't make any sense to anyone who's playing. And then all of a sudden they're just like, oh, I would have never gotten that in a million years. And I... You know, it's just so happens. Like, sometimes you make a good puzzle, and it literally stumps your party. And yeah. in the, you know, idea of the meta, that's great. That means you successfully built a dungeon that served its purpose, that kept the adventurers away from the treasure. Yeah. But, like, yeah. in regards to playing a game of D&D, &D, you don't want that to be the fate of the party. That they're just like, well, I guess we're going home. Yeah, I mean, but I actually want to throw this out there now I'm thinking about it, like... I don't think I've ever done this. I don't think I've even heard people talking about this. But, like, theoretically, like, if your party, like, fails a dungeon, because, like, we can't figure this out. It's like, all right, like, go go back to town and see if you can figure out a way to figure this shit out. Like, like that's still part of the dungeon. Yeah. Like, if you're not just going to give up on the dungeon, if you're not going to stop that quest, like, there's no reason. Like, I, this is... This is beside the point, and this is definitely going to come up in combat, but, like, there's something about player psychology in D&D &D where they don't consider retreat an option. I know. And I think it has to do with, like, you're playing heroes, and you're playing a game, and you have a mission, and, and like, we all came to this to do a thing tonight, and we don't want to lose, and there's a lot of pride and stuff attached yes. to it. And, and I, I can't tell you any way to overwrite that psychology. It's just part of it. But... There is no particular reason, and I think it's up to the DM to carefully, or in some cases, just very boldly set the precedent that, like, if you can't figure something out, that doesn't mean when you leave, it disappears from the world. If you get to a point in the puzzle and you say, we just have no idea how to fix this. We do not, we don't know the words, we don't know the math, we can't figure out this logic puzzle, whatever. And you say, like, we can't progress beyond this point. If they go back to town, like, they can still go on a mission and be like, we need to find somebody smart enough to figure this out. And theoretically, somebody exists. I mean, the DM would be probably thrilled. I would be thrilled if they were like, we need to find somebody who's smart enough to do this. Because there's there's going to be yeah. somebody. And so just because you've failed on that particular hurdle doesn't mean your players are then locked off permanently. And this is, this is coming back to that first point that, like, even when it seems like you've taken everything from the players they have to be resourceful enough and you have to remind them to be resourceful enough to seek out alternative means if they can't succeed. Well, on and own. this is something we talk about a lot with, you know, 5e with the narrative aspect of the game. One of the possible backgrounds, Sage gives you the ability researcher, which as mm -hmm. your like main special mm -hmm. background ability is you know where to find information. It's not like you have that information, but you know where to go. So maybe that researcher can be like, you know what, there was a great adventurer who had solved this puzzle in the past, and his diaries exist in this lost library. Now you got a new quest that's going to help yeah. you solve your current one. They're going to go and find this library, because yeah. that, that researcher trait leads him to know this is where that information is stored. Or, like, 
you know, someone has that noble background, position of privilege. You go to the local wizard's college and you're just like, hey, I'm rich and important. Someone come with me and help me fix this thing. <laughs> Man, uh, that turned out to be like probably the strongest thing in the I whole know. game was that noble birth oh my background. God. It's like outrageous. Our, our fighter it's, used it's it so vague. So it's just like you can get into anywhere you want all the time and people respect you immediately. <laughs> it was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> yeah. That was that was that was killer. Like that 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 background basically eliminates like every social skill in the game. It's just like I'm rich and important. Like help me. Like okay. <laughs> uh, People like you immediately. Yeah. Um, but yes, and I I think that um, you make a good point here about you know from one from one challenge or one adventure in the face of failure. Sometimes what you actually get is a branch off to a new adventure that will help you circle back onto the first one. I don't. I know that, like, there's something, again, there's something very linear about thinking about D&D in some cases because it's like, we're playing a game, and in this game we're doing this thing. But there's no reason that, you know, you could, you could know in advance as a DM that there's no way for them to solve this puzzle. They have to go seek somebody else who has this knowledge. Maybe doesn't want to give it up, but who has the knowledge, or a book, like you said, something. You know, this kind of thing happens all the time, and people who do this consciously are like considered like really good dms because they're creating like a really vast sort of nebulous narrative that has a lot of moving parts to it whereas if you like don't know that's going to happen like you're unprepared you know but i i'm i'm arguing that i think like you said like they're kind of one in the same where if if your party encounters something they can't handle don't allude to the fact that you didn't think they'd figure it out say like well uh make it up on the spot like well like you said there was an adventure who once solved this and maybe you can find them. And then it's like, all right, well, like, let's go ask around since we can find this person and, you know, see if they can find them. And then you have a whole other adventure figuring this out and you can go back to the main one when you've solved that and you're a little bit wiser, a little bit smarter and have a little bit more maybe swag with you. But um, that's another part of it is like, this is the scrapping thing too, is like, when it doesn't work, don't be afraid to change it. If, 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 meet meet the need of the moment yes. in a lot of cases because the, the big thing to remember and this is like a huge thing that took me forever to get in my head and it's still i have to remind myself is the players have no idea what you did in advance you could have done everything or nothing and as long as you play it off well nobody knows mm -hmm. and so when you have these little moments of panic like oh i didn't plan that they don't know you didn't plan that like remember that they don't know that. And as long as you sort of look calm and say, like, well, what else could you do then? In a way that, like, implies you might have known they'd come to this point, but didn't actually know they would come to this yeah. point. Um, and they might suggest something. You're just like, that sounds like a wise idea to me. You know, and then, like you said, in a lot of cases, they'll do a lot of the work yeah. for you. But you have to be willing to adapt the narrative and the game as it moves and what your players need. Because sometimes... Sometimes they just don't do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sometimes they just can't. And that's do the it. thing is like, with that being said, I think that it is never a good idea to make an impossible puzzle and not, yeah, no. and not give the party an easy way to figure out it's impossible because that's not yeah, fair. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at that's all. That's not yeah. fair and that's not cool. And the other thing is, these challenges we're talking about, I am a big fan of tailoring them to your party. Now, one of the pieces of advice yeah. that I wish I had remembered to say in our first episode, things we wish people told us, was copy yeah. your players' character sheets. God, Have I need them so a bad. copy of every single player's character sheet with yeah. you. If they want to give you both copies... That's cool. If they want to hold on to a copy, make sure you have one as well. Because the amount of times people are going to forget their sheet, that alone is enough of a reason. But also, having access to your character's character sheets while you're planning is amazing. Because if no one in your party at all has any religious knowledge, no one's a cleric, no one's a paladin, no one has any religious yeah. knowledge at all, don't put them against, like, you know, vampires or fiends or demons <laughs> or things that you need religious knowledge to fight. 
if you don't have anyone in yeah. your party that has survival knowledge or nature knowledge or like wilderness knowledge, don't chuck them in the middle of a like an abandoned forest and be like, find your way home, city folks. It's not fair and it's not fun. <laughs> so you can use like, oh, wait, my rogue randomly put a bunch of skills into nature because their backstory, they grew up in the wild. Okay, so now I can do something like, oh, you guys need to figure out how to survive in nature, or you need to know what kind of trees and plants are in this area for reason X, Y, or Z. Your rogue all of a sudden's like, oh shit, I know that stuff. Let me roll, because I know plants. Yep. And they get stoked. Yeah. <laughs> and they can use... I know plants. Yeah, exactly. I know plants. <laughs> to, to, br to bring it simple and easy, tailor ham the challenge to your party. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, I mean, look, I agree with you. I want to I want to play devil's advocate a little bit just for the sake of it. You know, I'm on board with you. Um, I think obviously there is room in any game to present your party with a challenge they are not prepared to handle. Okay, Fair. the vampire thing, like you said, there are times when it's like, well, that's the problem at hand. You're not obligated in some cases, and maybe in some cases you are to walk into the vampire's house and confront them without any knowledge or skill to do so. But there, there are, there is room because there's a lot of tension and a lot of fear. You know, you really can sort of instill the fear of God in your players when you present them with something they're not prepared to handle. However, as a DM, it's important to remember that when you do put your players up against a vampire, when no one has religious knowledge or holy weapons, no one's a cleric, something like that, you might just be setting them up in a guillotine. Yes. And so in that case, again, I don't think it's wise to make the only options they kill it or it kills mm -hmm. them. Because probably in that situation, unless they're very, very, very lucky, it will kill them. Okay? Instead, when you present them with something that they're really ill-equipped to handle, and maybe it's plot necessary and the party just went in such a way that that's how it goes. Uh, they just weren't prepared. Um, or maybe they walk into it of their own accord because sometimes they do stuff that they don't think about in advance. Um, remember that just because it's like there's a lot of fighting in the game because death is common in this world, um, not every resolution has to be somebody dies and that's how it ends. Yes. Remember that like Capture is a thing. Slavery is a thing. Uh, using bodies for rituals is a thing. Um, in, entrapment is a thing. Putting people into magical slumbers is a thing. Um, Even in, trying to put someone in your thrall is a thing. I mean, like, there's so many other ways to handle a party who's in over their head than just cutting their heads off on the spot. Even even adding insult to injury, the 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 big bad who just like <clears throat> knocks them within an inch of death and is just like, you guys aren't worth my time and leaves them. You guys suck it out of my and house. Like, like you're a joke. Leave my that house. That will never be forgiven by a PC. Oh my that god. That will spurn the most devoted adventuring <laughs> party to whatever you tell them. They will them. do. They will do actual pushups <laughs> to kill this vampire. <laughs> Like you, your players will do push-ups if you tell them that's how they kill this. After they humiliate them, that's how you do it. Um, so I agree with you. Be aware of what your players can do. Be aware of weird knowledges, especially ones that they chose and weren't just like given yes. for some reason. Um, and and be aware of of the types of challenges because there's there's active challenges and there's more like passive challenges um you can say like people who are like the wagon thing jumping on the wagon that's a very active challenge I'm, i want to do something i have all these actions i want to perform i'm going to roll a bunch of die to do it some player characters um have a lot invested in that sort of thing they want to do theatrical acrobatics they want to be very uh involved some players want to have a more backseat role um and so they have more perception they have more knowledges. They have more, uh, I don't know, the insight stuff. They have, like, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm blanking on other ones. But History, arcana, religion, like, nature, things like that. Sure. These kinds of things. And so it's important that 
to give diversity to the game, to give everybody something to play around with, but also just to keep it interesting so they're not ever sure exactly what they might encounter in a given moment. Switch it up. Throw them some jumping puzzles. Throw them some knowledge mm -hmm. puzzles. Um, if your party is like really, really, really heavily weighted to one side, obviously there's going to be a bent in that direction, but I would argue just by nature of taking backgrounds and just by nature of like kind of having to take skills for each class that sometimes you just take because you need to take another skill, um, there will be something to change that up. Um, and I, I just, the, you know, um, it is about the diversity and about the change that, that keeps it yeah. interesting. You know, never quite knowing what you'll encounter is, is what keeps it interesting more than the challenge itself. Well, exactly. and Because um, the challenge itself is just rolling die. Yeah, that's, really. that's, that's, you know, just math at the end of the day. But, like, with that in mind, you have, you know, you are talking about there would probably be a lean. If you have your adventure, athletic, heavy party that's, like, all about jump puzzles and climb puzzles and athletic things... You think about it logically, they would most likely go on adventures in their skill set because they are, it yes. is a skilled profession. Now, that goes, that's like, all right, so out of every three puzzles, two of them are athletically challenged, kind of based, and then there's one that's knowledge based, and that's the one that's the hardest for them, but it's still something they have sure. to accomplish, <clears throat> and that difference in puzzle is what makes it, you know, unique, exciting, and fun. Yes, I, I agree. And and it can be challenging huh? uh, when you are trying to make uh, challenges for a very sort of specifically single-focused party. Like, I'm not going to say that's easy because you will end up feeling like you're making the same thing over yeah. and over again. Um, but in that case, at least try to make the puzzles look very different from one another. Um, don't make them all just climbing. You know, throw in some swimming. Swimming is something that, like, does not come up in our games a lot for whatever reason. But, like, water exists. A lot of water exists. <laughs> like, swimming. And swimming, especially if you have a party of athletic people who are probably in armor, always presents, like, a really big, not only, like, physical challenge, but oftentimes, like, a big problematic decision-making moment where it's like, well, look, if you want to swim this, you can't do it in half plate. And you're like... I got, I got a lot in swim. It's like, I don't care. Like This thing weighs 65 pounds and is made of steel. You're not swimming this in, in half plate. And, uh, and you know, they can try and maybe they get a 20, but just as likely they sink to the bottom. Um, and so sometimes you have a decision where it's like, is the, is the fighter going to take off their armor? Uh, especially in a situation where perhaps they're going to be ambushed. Yeah. You know? Sometimes that's the most effective thing is like sort of this challenge stacking you can do where it's like, what's the situation? Is the situation tense? Yes. Now would be a really bad time to have to make a decision about whether or not you want to swim this river and take off your armor or go the really long way, yes. wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be a horrible time. That's the perfect That time. and also in regards to that kind of idea, having skill challenges and uh, puzzles and things like that within combat is something that mm -hmm. not a lot of people do, but works really, really, really well. Like, it's a good idea. Especially when you have a puzzle that has multi-steps and multi-layers, and you have initiative order. So now it's just like, instead of everyone being like, I try this, and I try this, and I try that, it's just like, all right, you're up, you have this plan going forward, are you going to try your own thing, or are you going to stick with the plan? And, like, yeah. beyond that, like, one of um, the quintessential, well, maybe not quintessential, but one... Um, dungeon mechanic that I really like, or one kind of encounter that I'm a big fan of, is the buried library with a coded locked door at the end. And the only way to find the code to the door, I normally use logic puzzles, is go do research in the room. And having them do research while in initiative, while fighting, you know, <clears throat> monsters and stuff, and so they have to, like, Alright, do I spend my turn reading this book and getting the next clue, or do I spend my turn fighting off this monster that's attacking me? Like, it it adds yeah. a whole new kind of dynamic to the uh, combat and to the challenges, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, I mean, consider you know the opportunity to say like, you're in a place where each person in the party has a skill that will allow them to bypass 
one of many uh, barriers to the next place, right? But they're mid-combat. So it's like everyone has to choose when and in what order they're going to disengage from combat, put their allies at a mechanical combative disadvantage to hopefully, in a timely manner, solve their problem, their little part of the puzzle. You know, like an arcane lock, a regular lock, like a steel bar, um, you know, and anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when does the fighter when does when can the fighter break the front line to try to like bust down this bar? Like, w at what point can you set up a situation in which like the wizard, the warlock, and the ranger with the bow at like three hundred feet have the opportunity to have that fighter leave the front line and leave them exposed? And then hope the fighter can do it fast enough that they don't get charged. I mean, that's a really tense yeah. thing. Um, and I'm I'm with you. I encourage that sort of coupling of components. I mean, a challenge in itself can be kind of like, eh, but put on top of something can be so it can be such an exclamation point. It can make it so much more complicated and so much more interesting and like stressful and like oh my like it's it's like a time management yeah. thing and it's like it's so much more strategic and it's like god you're just like hoping it's like please this turn i just want to be done this turn so i can get back and do yep. this thing and like even the score and so it's and fantastic so and um, i mean it's great we talked about skill challenges a lot this episode and i will say that is something that was yeah. in 4e and is not specifically outlined in fifth edition um yeah but like the rules exist for 4e skill challenges and there is no alterations needed to pull them into 5e and i use them still even though the mechanic's not technically in the game anymore i think it's a really cool mechanic especially the way they did speech challenges and interaction challenges where like mm. you have information a that you need from this person and there is like the low version of information A where it's really, really just the bare bones, the standard version where it's everything you need, and then the high version where it's all this extra information and these secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember based that. on the amount of successes and fails in initiative order that your party has accomplished when talking to this person, they get either like the really good answer, the medium answer, the bad. It's like all those Final Fantasy games that have like the good ending, the bad ending, and the medium ending yeah, based sure. on your percentage of completion. It's that kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. in a conversation with an enemy. So, like, I mean, you don't have to declare, like, now you're in a skill challenge. You can just have it happening and be like, all right, so I'm going to mark down all their successes and failures and tally them up. And, you know, that's what information they're going to get. And the key thing to remember with that is they do still need any plot crucial information, and you do have to give that to them. But the little extra secrets, extra treasure, the back entrance, how to do it, you know, easily, <coughs> those are the ones that they can earn through success. Yeah, I remember those. Those are really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um... And, and they, they, like you said, they can be transitioned pretty easily because you still have all the social skills on that list, right? I and mean, we still have the diplomacy, the intimidation, and that kind of thing. Um, and it's, it's, it's fun to make some of the more difficult and important social encounters have a metric by which they can sort of judge how well they're doing to some degree. And also that you can judge how well they're doing. Because sometimes um, you roll the d20 as a DM and it you know, they beat it, and you just go like, yeah, they beat it, but I'm not, like, totally sure what that means, yeah. you know? Like, it's anything from, like, yes to I spill my guts out on the floor about it, you know? And, and to some degree, you can say, like, by how much did they beat the number? Yeah. You know, they beat, it was 16, they beat 16, they got an 18, you know? But at some point, especially if the challenge is hard to start with, the dice won't go high enough, you know, yes. really? For you to get a number that's like really out there so it's 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 sort of a fun thing to be able to do to as the interaction is happening to throw some dice and just see um even if they're winning you know how much they're winning or if they're losing how badly they're losing um and and i i am um, i've gone back and forth about the way to handle social interaction challenges and i've talked to you mm -hmm. about this and and it's always come to the same point you've always been right but it like it just always kind of pesters me anyway that like the there is a way in which oh i'm sorry if you can hear that there's a cat scratching in a litter box right next oh, to me fun at least you got a cat with you yeah yep um 
Anyway, so apologies if you hear a lot of uh, sound. Scratching, scratching. Um, yeah. Um, so there's a way in which, right, like all the skills on that list uh, are representative of what uh, your player can do, right? And so although the physical ones make a lot of sense, they're really like one-to-one -one comparisons that make a lot of sense because you as the player can't physically do these things. You're not actually going to go out and climb a wall. You're not going to actually go out and like kill a goblin, you know? Um, you're not going to have to like lift a building. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. The social stuff falls in this weird gray area because in fact you are engaging with the social stuff. Um, and I guess sort of what it does is it compensates um, for a huge deficit or a huge like bonus in your natural charisma um, and your your willingness to talk in character and really act out and all these kinds of things. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, and so in a way it does more than it needs to and it almost doesn't do enough either. So like you know, there's people I've 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 played with that are naturally charismatic, and when you give them a social challenge, they'll just like they'll give you like a sham wow pitch, and it's like perfect, right? Like it makes total sense. Like that's their thing, and um, then you roll diplomacy, and they get like a three, and you're like, how the hell do I make ends meet with this? You know, and I guess the answer always becomes like the person listening just wasn't impressed. Yeah. You know, and there's something wonky about it. And, like, there will always be something wonky about it. Likewise, you have somebody who barely says anything and they roll a 20. And you're like, how, what do I do with, you know, they haven't said yeah. anything. Um, and and that is that is uh, very, very difficult to manage on some level. But you have to consider, again, the, the improvisational nature of the game. You know, if somebody says nothing and they roll a 20, the person they're talking to just damn well appreciates the... Brevity. The, the brevity exactly and if and if likewise you know you get somebody who's naturally charismatic and they pull just like a perfect diplomatic speech out of the air and then they roll a three the person thinks they're the person pretentious. the person th think they're a big yeah. jerk where they're like i don't understand a word you said moving on you know like you know you have to roll yes. with it um to that point because this part of the game gets kind of funky because you can actually simulate it in a much more tangible exactly way. um so the um the skill challenge as you put it with 4e is is a way to mitigate some of that that they can succeed yeah. but they only succeed to a certain well, degree and, um i mean and that's the thing is like i do a lot of research into how video games do it uh because a lot of video games have mm. rolling mood and speech kind of metrics and of course you don't get their algorithms or anything like that and that's way too complex to use for dming anyway but you kind of get you can yeah. read about like the base models they use and like that kind of thing and you can plan for like all right, so all my NPCs in a conversation are either going to be positive, negative, or neutral. And the responses they get are going to be these ones if they're negative, these ones if they're positive, and these ones if they're neutral. And if they have a success, the next response will be positive. If they have a failure, the next response is one step down, and so on and so forth. Sure. So you can build these kind of sliding scales for your PC's mood uh, that you know, make the interactions and speaking to people a lot more like a puzzle, a lot more like a game. Um, I will say we are getting pretty close to the end of the episode in regards to time here. So yeah. I'm going to, ah. I mean, I'm going to, I got a little bit more to say about puzzles specifically. And the more I think sure. about it, I mean, I'm probably going to do a entire puzzle workshop episode because I got a, I got okay. a lot to say. I got an entire episode's worth to say. So like, we'll okay. save that for another day. But for now, if you have any other questions about challenges, you can ask us at dungeoncasterspodcast at gmail.com. And you can tweet us at dungeon underscore casters. And we're going to try to, we'll, we'll always answer you back on Gmail or on Twitter. Um, we will <laughs> Twitter. We'll get to your questions in the episodes as soon as we can or like when, as they come up. Uh, but also do us a favor. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes that's you can search bar us it's dungeon space casters under the podcast tab we really really appreciate yeah. those reviews um they really really help us as you know podcast spread and grow and if you like us you know sharing us with other people 
it's always great. We always love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I want to say that we got our first uh, iTunes review and it was very nice. And whoever out there did that, it was just heartwarming and it made our day. And thank you so very much. It was wonderful. It was. Um, I, I texted Scott immediately. I was like, did you see that? And we thought it was a friend of ours. It was so nice. We're like, that can't be somebody we don't know. But apparently it was, which is fucking rad. So <laughs> apparently it thank was. Thank you. You can't ask for more exactly. than that. Hey, Ben. You know, Scott, I'm so happy to be talking about DM shit again. And I'm even excited to hear this joke you have for me. Hey, Ben. God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it hey, short. Ben. What? What did the paladin say when he found the dead giant? This is a very specific joke. Oh, it is. <laughs> the paladin say when he saw the dead giant? God, Scott, sometimes I think I know. I actually have no idea this time. Seems like someone wanted our friend here cut down to size. Yeah! Oh, no, no! God, is that still CSI Miami! Ah, shit. Okay. Alright. I was wrong. I In this podcast, we used Achilles and News Sting by Kevin McLeod of Acompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons.